Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. We will jump in with both feet into the Joe Biden document scandal in a moment. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the United States, a national holiday to recognize a great civil rights leader. And one of the things he was great about was his view of his fellow human being. His entire effort and emphasis was that everybody should be treated as human individuals, regardless of their race. And he made famous the line about a colorblind society. That the color of your skin shouldn't matter, it's the content of your character. And when I was doing research on American Marxism and really digging into critical race theory and in the Marxist ties to critical race theory, critical race theory rejects Martin Luther King Jr., its authors, its speech givers. They reject Martin Luther King Jr. too. Our public schools and classrooms reject Martin Luther King Jr. Many Democrats reject Martin Luther King Jr. Joe Biden, previously segregationist and racist, he today rejects Martin Luther King Jr. despite yesterday giving a speech at Ebenezer Church, Martin Luther King's church, and his speech today. Because Joe Biden has pushed the effort of critical race theory. And the view that you're a racist, regardless of who you are as an individual human being, regardless of how you live your life, because of the color of your sin, and you are oppressed, regardless of how you live your life, and if you're a minority. So Joe Biden does not represent Martin Luther King's view. Our public schools do not recognize Martin Luther King Jr.'s view. The Democrat Party, the media, do not recognize Martin Luther King Jr.'s view of mankind. Because the racism and racialism that's being pushed is opposite, is repugnant to Martin Luther King's view. But the Democrat Party can't help itself. Virtually its entire existence has been formed around the idea of racism. Whether it was racism against black Americans... From the time close to its founding, 
up into the 50s and 60s, anti-black racism to its position today, which is anti-white racism. It has to engage in racism. It always has. And apparently it always will. So when we celebrate the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., his history, what he did, the horrific assassination, it is important that we remember that the racism today that is camouflaged as something positive is still racism as it would have been yesterday. Now, Joe Biden. First of all, Joe Biden still has a media, a Praetorian Guard media. Now, remember, Jake Tapper started his career as a Democrat mouthpiece for Handgun Control Inc., for Marjorie Mezvinsky, a uh, one-term congressperson, um, not unlike uh, others who report these days, Chuck Todd, Democrat, his wife is a Democrat operative. They're very upset. They've been gleeful, celebratory, about the effort to criminalize the Presidential Records Act and to criminalize um, the Espionage Act against a former president, something that's never been done in our history. The Records Act does not have a criminal enforcement or criminal liability mechanism. And, of course, the Espionage Act is something that wasn't ever intended to apply against the president, even when it was first passed 105 years ago by Woodrow Wilson and his Democrats. I want you to get a sense of this as we lay the foundation, as we lawyers say. And this is why you should not watch Jake Tapper on Sunday and Chuck Todd on Sunday. Most of you don't. That's why their ratings are tanking and my ratings are strong. Let's listen to James Comer and Jake Tapper. Cut three, go. There's a big difference in how President Biden and his team reacted and how President Trump and his team reacted. The FBI searched Mar-a-Lago because Trump for more than a year refused to turn over documents to the National Archives and the Justice Department, which was trying to get them back into secure hands. Trump and his lawyers lied about it. Trump lied about not having classified documents, did not keep them in a secure location, did not comply with a subpoena, but said he had. And that that search warrant, which Trump forced out into the open through his legal machinations, that cited laws that Trump might have violated, including the Espionage Act. All right, let's stop. That is an outrageous piece of demographic, of, of a demagogic crap. You're a liar, Jake Tapper. A liar. They weren't trying for a year. But even if they were, they were negotiating, and that's what they do. There was no obstruction. They were negotiating. There was no need to criminalize it. The FBI had access to Mar-a-Lago. The FBI knew where the documents were in Mar-a-Lago. The FBI told the former president's staff to put another lock on the door at Mar-a-Lago. They denied, as we learned on Sunday, on Life, Liberty, and Levin from Jim Trusty, a skiff. They would not permit the National Archives a skiff to be built 
in Mar-a-Lago, which every former president has had, because a former president can ask to read even classified information that is as new as today. Did you know that? Vice presidents don't get skiffs. Vice presidents don't get classified readings. They don't have access to classified documents. And of course, as I've explained, and now the backbenchers have regurgitated, a president can declassify anything and classify anything. Why? Because the president is the executive branch under our Constitution. That's why. A vice president is not and has no such powers. So if a president decides to take a classified document with him into retirement, the assumption is, the implication is, it's declassified for those purposes. It doesn't mean a sitting president can't call it back or demand it back, but that's the implication, period. But it's certainly not a crime because we know as a matter of fact that Obama did not turn over all his classified information to the National Archives because these documents that Biden had were Obama administration documents. We know as a matter of fact that the National Archives lied when it said it had secured all of Obama's classified and unclassified documents because these were Obama's classified Documents that we're now finding, or Biden's lawyers are claiming to find. So when Jake Tapper gets on there, he's all worked up that there's a big difference. There is a big difference. What Joe Biden has done is far worse as a matter of law, as a matter of constitutional law, than anything Donald Trump did that his documents at Mar-a-Lago were far more secure than Joe Biden's. Joe Biden didn't even know where his documents were. He was surprised, he says, to learn of their existence. And, of course, Jake Tapper and we don't even have all the facts yet. The facts that we have now are bad enough. What was going on before November 2nd to motivate... A, uh, a hack lawyer, and that's what she is, to go into his closet and to find this file marked private with classified information in it. Why wasn't the FBI, immediately after it was informed on November 4th by the National Archives, why wasn't the FBI sent into his office, sent into his Wilmington, Delaware home and his Rehoboth home, sent into Hunter Biden's various places to secure any documents that might be there. They would have secured five weeks earlier the classified documents that were sitting in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, next to his Corvette. They would have secured the one document they later found at his home. They would have secured the six additional documents they found over the weekend. How did the FBI determined not to look at his facilities. Why was a subpoena not issued? And were any Biden lawyers or anybody else required to sign a document representing that this is all they knew about? 
under a penalty of perjury. See, Jake Tapper is not a reporter. He's not a newsman. Jake Tapper is a left-wing Democrat, intellectually corrupt. And that's why, that's why he now reports for the lowest-rated news cable channel in America. The Constipated News Network. Go ahead. It's my understanding that President Trump did let the National Archives go through on numerous occasions, Mar-a-Lago looking at the documents. What my understanding is, and again, we don't know because we haven't been briefed, was that President Trump was arguing with National Archives over what is classified and what is not. As we've heard the president say before, the president has the authority to declassify documents. Now, the question is whether or not the president actually declassified the documents. The vice president does not have the authority to declassify Actually, the vice, the vice president so, does you know, have There's the, a big difference. The vice Let's president. Stop. Did he just say the vice president does have that authority? Go ahead. Does. I'm not saying we that, don't know. We, we, the vice we, president excuse does me, have that. Excuse me, Jake Tapper. You're an ignoramus. The vice president does not have independent authority to declassify documents. He's not the head of the executive branch. He absolutely does not. So why did you say that? Because they're desperate. They have to lie. And the new lie is this was... Mar-a-Lago was much worse than what Biden did. The, the, the opposite is true, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. We disagree that the vice president does. It's a matter of fact... The reason the president does is because of the Constitution. Did something happen to Barack Obama that enabled his vice president to declassify information? No. It did not. But there's more. Cut four. Go. What are you saying to viewers who don't understand why President Biden's documents seem like a big priority for you? But President Trump, who took hundreds more documents, did not comply with the subpoena, did not reach out to the National Archives or the Justice Department to say, hey. I will help you because time is of the essence, and I don't have enough time to waste with Jake Tapper's idiocy. Donald Trump's been treated to the criminal process. Joe Biden was not. Just because you're issued a subpoena doesn't mean you bow over back backwards and give everybody what they want. You negotiate it. You negotiate it. It's not a criminal process. And it turns out the National Archives has been politicized. That's what I say, Jake. Are you now persuaded? Of course you're not. You're a hack. Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation 
forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com. Code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. My friends, 2022 is history. But have you thought about what you'll do in 2023? How will you make it better than last year? That's why I have a challenge for you. Resolve to become a better educated American. Look, every new year is a new opportunity, so I have a great way for you to make the most of this one. The good folks at Hillsdale College have made their amazing online courses free for all who wish to learn. My challenge to you, take just one of these fantastic courses. You can discover the beauty of the Bible in the Genesis story, study the writings of C.S. Lewis, or explore the true meaning of America in Constitution 101. There are many more to choose from, and all these self-paced free courses feature Hillsdale faculty and scholars. So visit levinforhillsdale.com and pick one of more than 30 free Hillsdale courses. I hope you'll accept my challenge. Pick whichever course you like and resolve to be a more educated American in 2023. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for and start your free course today. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. The Federal Bureau of Investigation in Garland. Something underscores just how so thoroughly corrupt these people are. Wall Street Journal, 4.36 p.m. Eastern Time. The Justice Department considered having FBI agents monitor a search by President Biden's lawyers for classified documents at his homes, but decided against it. Both to avoid complicating later stages of the investigation... And because Mr. Biden's attorneys had quickly turned over a first batch and were cooperating, according to people familiar with the matter. All right, so this is the next leak. This is the next leak because they know James Comer and his committee and others and Jim Jordan and his committee and others are focused now like a laser on this. And they want to put the information out. This is a question I've been asking here since day one. And all of you understand the the disparate treatment between Biden and Trump, despite all the the excuses that even the media regurgitate, and that's how I know this is yet another leak. That well, the lawyers were cooperating. That has nothing to do with anything. If these are classified documents, and there might be more, then the FBI should have gone in and searched his homes as well as any other places where Biden has been. They should have issued a subpoena. The prosecutors or the the lawyers at the Department of Justice to put a marker down immediately. And there's a lot of questions associated with this story, <coughs> excuse me, which include. Did the FBI know if these lawyers who were doing the searches? Had the appropriate clearances? to look for or actually find classified information? 
And who made this final determination? I mean, Joe Biden is the president of the United States, folks. They're focused like a like a bunch of nut jobs on a former president of the United States. He's the president of the United States. How do we know he's properly handling classified materials today? Right now. And the problem is he has this habit of rambling on and on and on. How do we know he keeps his mouth shut when he looks at materials? We have no idea. Now, as president, he doesn't have to. But either we have standards now or we don't. They created these standards for Trump. Now they should be applied to Biden. So the Attorney General of the United States and his comrades, the Deputy Attorney General and the other left-wing Obama hack lawyers that they brought in, these activists, They decided that the lawyers were cooperating so they could handle the search that the FBI should be doing. Sounds like Hillary Clinton all over again, does it not? They didn't have a search warrant with Hillary Clinton. They didn't send the FBI in, let alone an FBI SWAT team. Did they? Despite the thousands of emails that she had. Thousands. It's really quite amazing, don't you think? But in this instance, no, no, no. After Mr. Biden's lawyers discovered documents marked as classified, dating from his term as vice president in an office he used at a Washington-based think tank on November 2, the Justice Department opened an inquiry into why and how they got there. So I assume they know why and how they got there, but the rest of us don't know why and how they got there. Joe Biden can tell us. His marble mouth press secretary can tell us. His phony counsel can tell us, but they don't. So they're still covering up. Something is going on. They're still covering up. The two sides agreed that Mr. Biden's personal attorneys would inspect the homes notify the Justice Department as soon as they identified any other potentially classified records and arrange for law enforcement authorities to take them. And that's what they did, apparently. Wow. Completely different treatment than the Trump treatment. They didn't give Biden the Trump treatment, did they? No, they didn't. So this is just, it's just incredible what a corrupt corrupt system it is and it's so important that the republicans won the house so critically important that james comer is where he is that jim jordan is where he is and that the others are where they are it's just incredible and it's sickening to somebody like me who's spent many years at the department of justice at the highest levels to see this sort of thing But I want to go on. Sheila Jackson Lee has been for a long time a buffoon and a racialist. A buffoon and a racialist. She, as well as a handful of others, are always rated the worst boss to work for on Capitol Hill. 
Apparently she abuses her staffers, but she's for the people, don't you know? And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Biden stuff, but not right now. Sheila Jackson Lee introduced a House bill, writes Breitbart, Joshua Klein, criminalizing, quote, conspiracy to commit white supremacy, unquote, which includes criticism of non-white people, which influences an individual to commit a hate crime. Now, since white supremacy is defined under critical race theory and such, as the existence of your pigmentation, not actual actions that demonstrate your white supremacist, the fact of your birth as a white person demonstrate that you can't help it. It's in your DNA that you are a white supremacist, you are privileged, and you live in a white dominant society. So imagine what they could do with this. Criminalizing conspiracy to commit white supremacy. Which includes criticism of non-white people, which influences an individual to commit a hate crime. How are you going to pull that all together? I guess we'll have to wait for Media Matters and Mediaite to tell us. Just think about this. If somebody commits a crime or encourages the commission of a crime, you deal with those individual cases and the individual factors involved. That's what you do under our society. Conspiracy to commit white supremacy. Under critical race theory means anybody who's white is guilty. Because you're a white supremacist. Now, you don't have to be a Klansman or a neo-Nazi or that stuff. No, no. Your existence as a Caucasian is enough. That's how hideous and unconscionable all this is. You're a racist by birth. The legislation, H.R. 61, quote, leading against white supremacy act of 2023, unquote, was introduced last Monday by Sheila Jackson Lee, seeks to, quote, prevent and prosecute white supremacy-inspired hate crime and conspiracy to commit white uh, supremacy-inspired hate crime. The bill, which was referred to the Committee on the Judiciary, states that someone engages in a white supremacy-inspired hate crime, quote, when white supremacy ideology has motivated the planning, development, preparation, or perpetration of actions that constituted a crime or were undertaken in furtherance of activity that, if effectuated, would have constituted a crime. Accordingly, conspiracy to engage in white supremacy-inspired hate crime entails the publishing of material called Advancing White Supremacy, White Supremacist Ideology, Antagonism Based on Replacement Theory, or a hate speech that vilifies or is otherwise directed against any non-white person or group. Replacement theory. Anybody who opposes what's happening on the border apparently supports replacement theory, right? This is tyranny. This is totalitarianism. And you might say, that's all right, we're in the majority. We're not always going to be in the majority. 
and things that sound insane five years later have a way of making their way into the culture, being baselined, and into the law. It also calls for the Department of Justice to gain authority, quote, authority to conduct operations and, acti- and activities pursuant to what it deems necessary and appropriate to interdict, mitigate, or prevent such action from culminating in violent activity. The bill would grant the Department authority to prosecute persons engaged in such actions with records of white supremacy-inspired hate crimes maintained and annual reports uh, provided. So the First Amendment's gone, too. But you can see these phrases have already been used by radical racists who've written many books, who promote critical race theory and racism have already been used in the broadest and most nebulous ways against an entire population. Against an entire population. And so, here you have a Democrat who would use this. Who would use this to go after many of you. And you can imagine how they would how they would hold hearings, how they would demand grand juries on the left, how they would use this to destroy you. And many of you might say, but I'm not white. It wouldn't matter. If you support America, if you support liberty, if you oppose these Marxists, you believe in white supremacy. So there's no winning. You see, this is Marxism. There's no, there's no way out. You know, uh, language. Language. When you have free speech, language cannot be used. Cannot be used to control the population. That's why free speech is so important. That's why the First Amendment is so important. And yet you see the manipulation of language today. You hear Chilla Jackson Lee, white supremacy, white dominant society. It's not just that. What's a male? What's a female? And so what happens with the Marxist or any totalitarian does is they want to control the language. And by controlling the language, they hope to control the thought process. They give words, meanings that advance their agenda. They try to control thought by controlling what you're able to say or how you say it or when you say it or where you say it. It's about intimidation. It's about brainwashing and groupthink control over communication between and among people, citizens. It distorts reality. It compels compliance and uniformity. It's censorship. And it's being used right now to resegregate our country along different lines, to resegregate our country along different lines, to advance racism 
is a righteous cause, and in the end to promote totalitarianism like Sheila Jackson Lee here. That's why the Biden administration and his bureaucracy was working with Twitter and others, Facebook, Google, to limit speech, to limit what could be heard. Because speech, competition of ideas, the thinking process, individualism, is what makes our society so fantastic. And the Democrat Party opposes all that. Mark Levin. My friends, 2022 is history. But have you thought about what you'll do in 2023? How will you make it better than last year? That's why I have a challenge for you. Resolve to become a better educated American. Look, every new year is a new opportunity, so I have a great way for you to make the most of this one. The good folks at Hillsdale College have made their amazing online courses free for all who wish to learn. My challenge to you, take just one of these fantastic courses. You can discover the beauty of the Bible in the Genesis story, study the writings of C.S. Lewis, or explore the true meaning of America in Constitution 101. There are many more to choose from, and all these self-paced free courses feature Hillsdale faculty and scholars. So visit levinforhillsdale.com and pick one of more than 30 free Hillsdale courses. I hope you'll accept my challenge. Pick whichever course you like and resolve to be a more educated American in 2023. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N and start your free course today. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. The Daily Wire, Biden attorney interviewed by feds, personal attorney to Joe Biden, but they didn't use a form to summarize the interview. Cover up, telling you. Patrick Moore, the attorney identified as the one who initially found classified materials while packing up Biden's former think tank information, carried the same, I'd say, excuse me, a source briefed on the matter said Moore gave non classified personal documents to the National Archives that included speeches and reference materials sent from the Biden the Penn Biden Center, to the attorney's law office in Boston. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced last week he appointed, oh yeah, I know all this, we know all this. The documents, some of which have top secret materials, date back to Biden's time as vice president. Anyway, this is what's happened. There's more. So they didn't use the 302 form that the FBI uses because they didn't want it discovered. Then the Hill, the National Archives says it must consult with the Department of Justice before sharing information related to Biden documents with Congress. National Archives told the House Republicans it must first consult with the DOJ. The Archives has to determine whether sharing the details with lawmakers would compromise the criminal probe into the matter. Wrote acting archivist Deborah Stidell Wall in a letter to House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer. And so uh, what basically the National Archives is saying now is, uh, sorry, but you can't do oversight. Because of transparency. Because we're so responsive. Because we're, we're so committed to getting to the truth. They can't comment without DOJ input. DOJ has put an iron curtain around this. 
DOJ covered this up for exactly 63 days before it was leaked to CBS News. DOJ covered it up while they were appointing a special counsel to go after Trump. DOJ covered it up. DOJ covered it up through the midterm election, and DOJ is still covering it up. Right now. You see how they have all the corners covered. So the National Archives, which couldn't wait to comment on Donald Trump, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we protected all of Obama's documents, except, of course, for the ones that we didn't. But there's an ongoing investigation. Why are you speaking? Because it's Trump, and we're going to speak all we want. Don't try and silence us. Well, now they want to do oversight of Biden. Sorry, we uh, we have to check with the uh, Department of Justice on this one. So no 302. The archives is covering up. No FBI independent search for documents at any of the Biden facilities. Think about this. No subpoena, let alone warrant. No SWAT team. No search. Nothing. Isn't that amazing? And then we're told it's transparent. If there's six years of this, very transparent. That's the difference, you know. Trump committed, yes, genocide in covering up these documents. It was the most unbelievable thing. And Joe, well, Joe, Joe's trans. It's, you know, lunch bucket Joe. The Democrats will support anyone and support anything as long as they're Democrats. No matter how preposterous and imbecilic and insane they sound and are. It's the truth. They know as well as you do that Joe Biden isn't all there. They don't care. They know as well as you do that Kamala Harris is a moron. They know it, but they don't care. They know as well as you do that the spokes idiot for the idiot is an idiot. But they don't care. They don't care. Republicans have been riled by the discovery of Biden's classified documents and called Democrats hypocritical for not exhibiting the same outrage they showed over Trump's document dilemma. They've also accused the archives and other government agencies of bias in their responses to the two scandals. They're right. This wall responded to the GOP concerns in her letter, specifically homing in on Comer's allegations that the archives conducted its work with a political bias, but publicly addressing Trump's violations and not doing the same for Biden. Wall said the archives treats all communications with DOJ and with former and current presidents as presumptively confidential. No, they don't. They've politicized everything, even the National Archives. Only when those topics were subsequently reported publicly in the press did NARA begin to respond to queries And only then in a manner that would not harm the integrity of the DOJ investigation, she said. That's a lie. Um, they jumped into the Obama thing. Nobody queried them. And just because they're queried doesn't mean they have to answer the questions. But a congressional oversight committee. So you see, you see the plan. 
The plan is to delay, obstruct, counterattack. That's the plan across the board with the Biden administration, while at the same time, there are morons like Van Hollen will go out and tell you the opposite of what's taking place. They responded immediately, and they're transparent, unlike Trump, you know. They're very cooperative. Uh, Wall in the letter to Comer emphasized that while the archives is the repository for presidential materials, the archives does not keep track of records before they're handed over for safekeeping. Well, that's interesting. Since they put out a statement defending Obama and told, said they had all of his millions of documents, clearly they hadn't checked. They're liars. Cover up. They're liars. Cover up. Then we have this, as I pull this all together. From just the news, Obama ethics chief slams Biden's inexcusable neglect of the most basic security protocols. Shocking, I know, but at least somebody's trying to keep his or her reputation. It's nothing like Trump's deliberate refusal to return classified records demanded by the National Archives, but Biden's own retention of classified records reflects an inexcusable neglect of the most basic security protocols, says the uh, Obama, Obamanoid. No, it's nothing like Trump, because Trump was the one who was transparent. FBI came in, they looked around, they said put another padlock on there, they're negotiating what they felt would belong or not belong to the government. And I might add that Jim Trustee told us Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin that they wouldn't even give President Trump a skiff, which is where you put these sorts of materials because former presidents have a right to have access to them. So they're right about that. And they knew where they were. They were in one place, not 27 places. Now, after the break, there's been a lot of talk about whether a president, a vice president, has the power to classify and declassify. USA Today put out a piece citing a leftist national security organization, so-called. And they, in turn, cite an Obama 2009 executive order, which is quite long, thorough. Now we know where uh, Fake Tapper got his information from, probably this left-wing organization. Well, of course Joe Biden can classify and declassify. There's an executive order that says he can. Now, keep one thing in mind before I get to that after the break. There's no question the president does. The Supreme Court has ruled that way. The way separation of powers is set up, the president has plenary executive power. He is the executive. The vice president is not the executive unless the president dies or unless the president is incapable of governing. Sort of like this president, but this president gets a pass. But you get my point. So there are no real exigent circumstances here. I don't believe Obama had those issues. So it's one thing to say that if you classify the document, you have the authority to declassify it, or if you follow statutory procedures over there at the CIA or the 
National Security Council or the NSA or the FBI or wherever. Uh, here are the procedures put in place so forth, to apply to subordinates. But that is separate and apart from the power a president has as a result of being the head of the executive branch to classify or declassify at will. At will. Perfect example would be, let's say you have a a fairly senior executive at the State Department who has classified information and then provides that classified information, perhaps by mistake, in a discussion with another foreign diplomat. That's a violation of federal law. Let's say the president is having the same discussion with that foreign diplomat, and he reveals classified information. That is not a violation of federal law. Got it? Let's say the vice president is having a discussion with that same diplomat, and he reveals classified information. That is a violation of federal law, because the vice president does not have the power that the president has As the head of the executive branch, separation of powers, he does not have the power to disclose that information. You understand what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? There are certain powers a president cannot delegate. For instance, the president cannot delegate and say, you know what, uh... I really don't think I can handle this commander-in-chief stuff. You know, Kamala, I'm delegating the authority for you to handle all my commander-in-chief responsibilities. He can't do that. You know what, Kamala? My reading has gotten very poor. I can't read these briefings on these different candidates. I'll tell you what. You nominate the people to the Supreme Court. I can't really do that anymore. My eyesight, you know, he can't do that. You know what, Kamala? I don't want to give the State of the Union address. Why? Because reruns of Lost in Space are on, and I want to watch that. It's a Biden tradition. She can't just give the State of the Union address because the president chooses not to. And the vice president can't declassify and classify information on his own. Only the president can. So USA Today, get your stupid, corrupt, journalistic act together. And Jake Tapper, that'll never happen for you. You're just a fake. That's the way it is. Now hopefully Jonathan Turley or one of the others will repeat this on Fox. And then they might repeat it on The Five, Mr. Producer. Because it's very important. It's a very important point. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. A couple weeks ago, I saw a local story out of Northern Virginia about how the Fairfax County school system 
particularly this Thomas Jefferson High School, which is considered the number one high school in the country, or was until about a year ago, that um, they held back these National Merit Commended Scholar notices. So these students who were top of the top wouldn't be able to use that information in getting selected by top universities and colleges and wouldn't be able to seek scholarships either. And one of the reasons this took place is because it was felt by the educational bureaucracy in Fairfax County that too many of these kids were Asian. And also we've since learned from the great Attorney General of Virginia that that Fairfax County hired a a DEI individual. That's the new name, DEI. These are the uh, these are the enforcers of wokeism and critical race theory and and all the rest of it for four hundred and fifty five thousand dollars for nine months, and it was in part his idea. And so the superintendent, it appears that the superintendent of schools in Fairfax County embraced this. I want you to think about how much damage that does to students. I want you to think about how much damage that does to students who spend their entire pre-college, pre-university careers working hard, following the rules, studying every night, every weekend to be the best that they can. I want you to think about if you're an athlete and you have broken your back to be the best football player, basketball player, golfer, whatever it is, swimmer, and yet that that achievement is taken from you. It's taken from you. Or anybody out there who works hard, you want to be the best plumber, the best electrician, you want to be the best at what you do. And the people who are supposed to help you sabotage you. Now we pay for these schools, ladies and gentlemen, and they act like they're independent of us, independent of the taxpayers and independent of the parents. And this equity stuff, which is Marxism, I didn't say equality, I said equity stuff, it's Marxism about equal outcomes is destroying your kids and it's going to destroy young people and whatever they pursue and of course it's going to destroy you they treat us like machines what it really is if you take the time and I confess it's not the easiest read, is Plato's Republic. Read Plato's Republic. Read Plato's Republic. Years ago I told you about John Adams. John Adams used to quote and cite, he said, you know, Plato was a genius, which he was. Read Plato's Republic. There's been a lot of debate on whether Plato's Republic was, was an intentional 
uh, illustration of a republic favored by Plato or if it was the opposite. Much like Thomas More's Utopia. And I believe it was the latter. Plato was trying to demonstrate how these social engineers destroy humanity. And if you were to read the Meritopia, my third book, but my second, no, that's the third book. It's the fourth book, actually, but the third book on a serious subject. Or I should say, excuse me, a scholarly subject. It's laid out right there, from Marxism to Utopianism, Plato's Republic, you name it. Call it whatever you will, that's what we're in the middle of right now. Merit doesn't matter. Meritocracy is over. Here we have from Twitchy. 16 high schools in Northern Virginia delayed notifying students of their national merit recognition. This is a story we made national two weeks ago from the one school. Now we learn there are 16 schools. Twitchy reported back on December 23, parent Asra Nomani learned that her son was a National Merit Commended Scholar two years after he earned the award. Seems it was all about the school's push for equity and targeted Asian students. That's a big deal. National Merit Awards look very good on college applications, and there are National Merit Scholarships on the line. You'll see some tweets in this piece that they have at Twitchy. That 13 Northern Virginia schools have been found of delayed notification, but according to 7 News DC, the number jumped to 16 yesterday. 16. High schools. Now, obviously, Governor Yunkin is furious about this. The Attorney General has opened an investigation not the Attorney General of the United States. You know, he investigates parents. No, the Attorney General of Virginia. Whether or not civil rights laws are violated, state civil rights laws, potentially federal. And I would say this to the parents who are affected by this. You should consider some kind of civil action against the school district the members of the school board, and the superintendent. Don't look for a slip-and-fall ambulance-chasing lawyer who will milk you for everything you're worth and then seek the publicity. Look for a quiet, serious lawyer, not necessarily quiet in the courtroom, but does his or her work. Maybe a former member of the prosecutorial staff of the state prosecutor's office in your uh, county but whomever, and sue them for money damages. Now, you could lose. Some judge might say that the money damages are speculative as you try and figure out the cost to your child's career or a scholarship that he or me, she or he may have received. But nonetheless, they did great damage to your children. And they're doing damage to children throughout the Northern Virginia school districts, as they are in so many school districts in this country. 
That school district, obviously, as these others in Northern Virginia surround or surround the side across the Potomac of Washington, D.C. And as much as parents are fighting, they are having to deal with these educational bureaucrats who are the best bureaucrats at what they do, cover up, dissemble, flat-out lie, and that's what they do. Now, as a societal matter, this can't go on if we are going to be a prosperous and successful society. You cannot have a country where children are held back purposely, where the smartest among them do not have educational opportunities that challenge them. A country cannot succeed that way. On top of the sexualizing students, on top of the, of the racializing students, on top of destroying student patriotism for American history in the country, punishing them for being successful, for being smart. You don't go to a football game where they take the best running back on the field and hold him back. And say, uh, you have to wait three seconds before you run. Do you? Have we lost all, all desire to be competitive? To base success on merit? Well, something's gone damn wrong. So these bureaucrats need to be held accountable. They need to be held accountable. And it's not just happening in Northern Virginia. I don't know what the hell's going on there. I mean, you got Fairfax County, Loudoun County, four of their high schools. Remember the rape situation? The double rape situation in Loudoun County? Remember that? Critical race theory, sexualization. 20 years ago, when we moved to Loudoun County, It was a heavily Republican county. It wasn't heavily populated. They built the subway system close enough to Loudoun County. They massively expanded the cloud where 80% of the Internet traffic goes through Loudoun County. Silicon Valley, in many ways, and Amazon used Loudoun County as their second headquarters. The bureaucrats... From Washington, more and more moved into Loudoun County. Loudoun County is now a Democrat county in less than 20 years, probably 10 years. 10 years. And the schools reflect it. The schools are being destroyed from within. That Stonebridge High School. where that punk raped the girl in the girl's room. My kids went to that high school. It's considered one of the best high schools in the state. Now look what they've done to it. 
Look what they've done to our bathrooms. Look what they've done to our gym showers for the kids. Look what they've done to our libraries with the filth. Look what they've done with assemblies, with drag queens. Look what they've done to Martin Luther King's dream of a colorblind society with critical race theory. They've destroyed it. Look what they've done to merit when it comes to merit scholarship awards, national merit awards. Look. All in the name of what? They're destroying our country. They're brainwashing your kids to turn them against you. There's a fantastic, yet again, expose by Project Veritas. Our friend James O'Keefe, this is why they want to shut them down at the FBI, the Stasi. The Biden administration going after Project Veritas because... Involuntarily, they come into possession of his granddaughter's, what is it, notebook? Whatever it is. What was it? Diary. Oh, so they send out the, uh, the jackboots to get it. He gave it to them. He didn't even want it. But even if he did, he has a right to it. He's the press. You don't have to be the Holocaust-denying New York Times. To be the press, you know. And he he exposes yet again what's taking place in our schools. Dr. Quinton Bostic, teaching lab headquarters director in Georgia, he's created this curriculum. And this curriculum is critical race theory ideology taught to kindergartners kindergartners and yet in the state of Georgia it's unlawful to teach critical race theory so you know what he does he changes the name and he laughs about it calls the governor Kemp an idiot he mocks them he's getting rich he's going around state law I'm sure he's not the only one and the school districts in Fulton County and Cobb County, the most populous counties in and around Atlanta, they're buying this stuff left and right. And they know they shouldn't, but they buy it anyway. Because parents are stupid, see. That's what he says. Stupid. And um, this is the problem. The educational bureaucracy is radical left Marxists. They're completely out of control. And they don't give a damn what you think. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. There's a lot swirling around. Around us. But I want to talk about this debt and this spending. And explain how immoral what the Democrats and the left and the rhinos like Susan Collins are doing to your children and your grandchildren in this country. We'll get to the other stuff. 
But this battle is not just over facts and not just over finances. That would be enough. But it's over morality. Can we simultaneously love our children but betray their generation and generations yet to come? Among the least acknowledged facts of American modernity is the extent to which parents acting in their own familial capacity naturally guard their young children from threat and peril to the point of risking their own physical and economic security in extreme cases. But when acting as part of the political and governing community, and this is particularly the people on the left, that is the ruling generation, many of these same parents wittingly and unwittingly join with other parents in tolerating, if not enthusiastically championing, disadvantageous and even grievous public policies that jeopardize not only their children's future, but the welfare of successive generations. Their accepted norms of behavior, a moral order, born of experience and knowledge, instinct and faith, teaching and reason and love and passion, that provide definition for and boundaries between right and wrong, good and evil, fairness and injustice, applicable to families and societies alike. So a harmony of virtuous interests informed by tried and true traditions, customs, values, and institutions and cultivated within families and the larger community, preserves and improves the human condition, one individual at a time, one generation to the next. Broadly speaking, this is the civil society. Edmund Burke, a great political thinker who was born in Ireland and moved to England, where he became a prominent statesman in the 18th century, explained that the civil society relies on an intergenerational continuum of the past, the living, and the unborn. He wrote that, as the end of such a partnership cannot be obtained in many generations, it becomes a partnership not only between those who are living, but between those who are dead and those hard to be born. In fact, Burke went further, warning that those who forsake the intergenerational continuum condemn themselves, their children, and future generations to a grim existence. Here's what he said. One of the first and most leading principles on which the commonwealth and the laws are consecrated is lest the temporary possessors and life renters in it, unmindful of what they have received from their ancestors or what is due to their posterity, should act as if they were the entire masters, that they should not think it among their rights to cut off the entail or commit waste on the inheritance by destroying at their pleasure the whole original fabric of society, hazarding to leave to those who come after them a ruin, a ruin instead of a habitation, and teaching these successors as little to respect their contrivances if they had themselves respected the institutions of their forefathers. In other words, the arrogance of an existing generation that would ignore past generations and destroy future generations because they claim to be the masters of the world. To embrace the moral order as parents nurturing their children, yet to abandon that moral order as a member of the ruling generation, thereby 
contributing to predictably deleterious public policies with prospectively calamitous outcomes is a decadence that leads to unstable and potentially oppressive or even tyrannical conditions, which in the end degrade and disassemble the civil society and consume their children's generation and generations beyond. Reformation and recovery may be possible, but difficult and complicated, and typically only after the exaction of an enormous human toll. It's true. Before Burke, Charles de Montesquieu, a French philosopher whose life predated the American Revolution, but who was hugely influential on the Constitution's framers, also wrote of the disastrous aftermath of a civil society's abandonment. He said, When that virtue ceases, ambition enters those hearts that can admit it, and avarice enters them all. Desires change their objects. That which one used to love, one loves no longer. One was free under the laws, one wants to be free against them. Each citizen is like a slave who has escaped from his master's house. What was a maxim is now called severity. What was a rule is now called constraint. What was vigilance is now called fear. There, frugality, not the desire to possess, is avarice. Formerly the goods of individuals made up the public treasury. The public treasury has now become the patrimony of the individuals. The republic is a cast-off husk. And its strength is no more than the power of a few citizens and the license of all. In modern America, the unraveling of the civil society has been subtly persistent, but is now intensifying. Evidence of rising utopian statism, the allure of political demagogues and self-appointed masterminds, peddling abstractions and fantasies in pursuit of a non-existence paradisical society, and the concomitant accretion of governmental power in an increasingly authoritarian and centralized federal leviathan. It abounds. The ruling generation's governing policies are already forecast to diminish the quality of life of future generations. Among other things, witness the massive welfare and entitlement state, which is concurrently expanding and imploding, and the brazen abandonment of constitutional firewalls and governing limitations. If not appropriate and expeditiously ameliorated, the effects will be dire, and the ruling generation knows it. It is past time and therefore imperative that the ruling generation, our generation, acquaints itself with James Madison's uncomplicated cautionary insight, written to bolster the proposed Constitution's ratification at the state convention. I'm talking about Federalist 51. Madison explained the essential balance between the civil society and governmental restraint. He said, but what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections of human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. 
However, why do so many loving parents, as part of the ruling generation, abandon the civil society for the growing tyranny of a voracious central government that steals their children's future, thus condemning their own children and unborn generations to a dangerously precarious and unstable environment, despite a large majority acknowledging the national decline for which the blame, they blame politicians. There are a number of possibilities. For example, language itself can contribute to the problem. The words generation and ruling generation and future generations can be imprecise and for some elusive. They can be thought of as merely theoretical and conceptual or an unreality. So the growth of numerous offshoots intended to provide context and clarification, baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, Generation Z, etc. Nonetheless, despite inexact nomenclature, there are difficult differences relating to various age groups, some big, others inconsequential. Just that there are similarities in shared interests. The psychology also makes it easier for parents talking about general, generalized groups and generations to downplay or ignore the longer-term and broader ruinous effects of contemporary public policies and reject any role, any role on themselves or responsibility in contributing to them. It is a contradiction that usually originates with governing elites and statists who relentlessly reinforce and encourage it. They self-righteously advocate public policies that oblige future generations' labor and resources to their own real and perceived benefit, empowering governmental abuse via social engineering and economic depredation. They disguise the delinquency as compassionate and premised on good intentions, often insisting their objectives will improve the prospects of those most severely burdened by them, the children. And the mastermind's tactics are disarming, if not seductive. Where the utopianism is advanced through gradualism, it can deceive an unsuspecting population, which is largely content and passive. It is sold as reforming and improving the existing society's imperfections and weaknesses without imperiling its basic nature. And under these conditions, it is mostly ignored, dismissed, or tolerated. But much of the citizenry... Uh, 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 by much of the citizenry and celebrated by some. Transformation is deemed innocuous, well-intentioned, perhaps constructive, but not a dangerous trespass on fundamental liberties. Many in the ruling generation have themselves become entrapped in economically unsustainable governmental schemes in which they are beneficiaries and relying on public programs such as unfunded entitlements, to which they have contributed significantly into supposed trust funds and around which they have organized their retirement years. They also find self-deluding solace in the politically expedient and deceitful representations by the ruling class, which dismisses evidence of its own diversion and depletion of trust funds and its overall maladministration as the invention of doomsayers and scaremongers. What parents and the ruling generation owe their children and generations afar are the rebirth of a vibrant civil society and the restoration of vigorous constitutional republic, along with the essential and simultaneous diminution of the federal government's sweeping and expanding scope of power 
and its subsequent containment. If the ruling generation fails this admittedly complicated but central task, which grows ever more difficult and urgent with the passage of time and the federal leviathan's hardline entrenchment, then the very essence of the American experiment will not survive. As such, it can and will be rightly said that this ruling generation, we betrayed our posterity. We betrayed our posterity. This is in the first chapter, and it goes on, of plunder and deceit. First chapter, plunder and deceit. Why did I read that? Because it relates to this battle over spending and borrowing and raising the debt ceiling. The Republicans who joined the Democrats in passing that omnibus bill, declared war on your children, your grandchildren, and future generations. They knew that they were adding at least another trillion dollars to the national debt, which is now $31.5 trillion. It is virtually impossible for your children and grandchildren to dig out from under this debt. It will be burdening them the rest of their lives. The interest rates, the lack of capital... The lack of economic progress, impoverishment. That is what this battle is for and against. The Republicans in the House have said they are going to stand up to what the Senate have done. They're going to stand up to Biden and the Democrats. They are going to stand up to the American Marxists and their surrogates. And they do so to save the country and to save your family. And your children, and your children's children. That's what this battle is about. 